have is how you've treated others and the good you've done for your community. We've won some great accolades this year, which I can brag about later, but it's not those things. It's how you've, how you've, um, how you've helped other people. Welcome to the Charting Her Course podcast, brought to you by the Pacific Coast Business Times. This podcast will give an inside look at women who own and run small businesses on California's Central Coast. I'm your host, Veronica Kuzma, and I'm so excited to put a spotlight on these fascinating businesses in San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, and Ventura counties. This podcast would not be possible without our sponsor, Bank of America. More from them a little later. Rachel Sears Casanta is the co-founder and co-CEO of Hypercat Cycle Works and Hypercat Racing, a brick-and-mortar bicycle shop and endurance sports training program based in Ventura, California. Rachel started her career as a radio host and has even competed as a professional triathlete for 12 years. Since then, Rachel and her husband set down roots in Ventura, where the Hypercat brand has grown into a Central Coast community staple for professional and recreational cyclists. Rachel's entrepreneurial journey is unlike anything we've ever heard before. Her story hits close to our hearts at charting her course, and we're so happy that you can tune in. Please enjoy this talk with Rachel Sears Casanta. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us today, Rachel. I'm really excited to speak with you. And let's just start with you telling us about Hypercat and what your role is. First, thank you, Veronica, for the opportunity. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, so Hypercat uh, Incorporated is our corporate name, and our we have two businesses, Hypercat Cycle Works and Hypercat Racing. Hypercat Cycle Works is our retail bike shop, and Hypercat Racing is, is our endurance sports coaching company. And uh, in, a, in a formal sense, I'm the president of the corporation, but uh, I, I own it together with my husband and I, or together with my husband, and we, we have obviously different and distinct roles between the two businesses. Um, so when you're a small business owner, you kind of do everything. So between my husband and I, we cover everything. <laughs> so I like to ask this just because I think it's fun. What did you want to be when you grew up? You know, that's a great question. And I, and I, you know, being that I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, sometimes I think of that question and well, how would I have answered it? And, you know, I honestly can't remember anything particular that I wanted to be, but I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know why, but um, I was thinking, what would my, you know, 20-something self or pre-college self think of my 47-year-old self and where I'm at? And although the path was very indirect, uh, my 20 something or teenage self would very much approve of where I'm at today. I would have, it was not, it was not in the vision at that time. Um, but it's interesting how we, you know, you follow your passions and you end up right where you're supposed to be, I think sometimes. Okay. So let's talk about that. What's been your career path leading up to now? So um, I would say I started uh, as a college student in, in broadcasting. So I worked in radio. I was an on-air personality at WYYYFM, Y94FM in Syracuse, and WBBSFM, B104.7, today's hot new country. Um, I actually worked for a few other stations, but those were the two that uh, I worked for for a while. But those were the professional stations that I actually got paid like $6 an hour for. Um, <laughs> my, uh, I, I started at uh, Syracuse University's WJPZ Z89. Uh, it's considered uh, the, the, the world's best media classroom. So I worked on the air at uh, Syracuse as a student, if you will, 
and learned my trade and then worked on air. Post-college, I continued in the, in the broadcasting world, or I should say the radio world, but I ended up in sales. I went to a New York City and was in a training program called the Rapper Program with a company called Interrep, and Rapper stood for Radio Apprenticeship Program. And there was a group of us that went through a very tough, rigorous, uh, several month training program. And then at the end of that, if you survived, it was admittedly, there's a, it seemed to felt a lot but like you were being hazed um, at times, but um, you made it through that. You were offered a job at one of the firms in the, uh, within the company, which had a number of sub firms and they were all over the US. And so the relevance of that is that I started with a job in Boston and worked in Boston for a company called D&R Radio. And then, um, <laughs> it's an interesting story, but it's uh, how life goes. I, I crashed, I was on a bike and I crashed. And as a result of that bike crash, there was a series of events that led me to end up with a job offer in San Francisco. <laughs> and so I moved to San Francisco and stayed in, uh, in sales for about a year. And then I left because I became disgruntled and was afraid to become a miserable middle-aged woman. That was what a lot of the women on the floor in my office in San Francisco were like. And uh, that was the beginning of what became what is today Hypercat Racing. Um, within a year or two, um, my husband and I, uh, we, worked, we were working for a bike shop and he was a manager and I was a part-time salesperson and I was getting into the sport of triathlon. And one day we went to work and there was a padlock on the door. And that, without going in that whole story, that company uh, went out of business. And so we went from having you know, jobs to no jobs. And that was really the fire that lit under our rear ends. And we started what ultimately became what we have now in San Francisco out of our you know, living room. My husband started doing bike fitting. I started coaching at the kitchen table with the computer. It was one of the very first uh, early endurance sports coaches online. And, um, and then simultaneously, I was also training for the sport of triathlon. And what happened was that we had kind of parallel paths I went on to become a professional triathlete for about 12 years and raced all over, you know, the United States and, uh, and the globe. And at the same time, we were nurturing the coaching company. There was a lot of synergy between me racing, uh, you know, because of the visibility and my husband is a bike fitter. Um, and then there came a point at which we were like, well, are we going to, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay in San Francisco? Are we going to start a family? Are we going to get married, et cetera. And ultimately, um, we decided, um, I decided for myself that I wanted to get a master's degree. So at, uh, at USF, University of San Francisco, I got a master's in sport management. We decided, and that was done, that it was time to make a move. And we had three places that we picked, Bend, Oregon, uh, Boulder, Colorado, or Ventura. <laughs> and uh, uh, we decided, obviously, I'm in Ventura. We decided Ventura because uh, family, my husband's family was in Ventura. And we didn't have any family in Bend, Oregon or, or Boulder, Colorado, outside of the endurance sports world, which we would consider family. Um, so when we moved to Ventura, the big change in the relevance in the business world is we went from a home-based business that did expand, by the way, into a side apartment and a garage and all this stuff. But we opened our brick-and-mortar location on Market Street in uh, uh 2010. And so that's when we moved here. So that's kind of the somewhat long but abbreviated story as to how we how we got to be here and uh, and how uh, the business became came to be. I have been to Bend, Oregon. So I do know that place, at least one time I visited. It's nice, but I'm glad you ended up in Ventura. 
Thank um, you. <laughs> so let's talk about the beginning days of the brick and mortar. What were those, you know, how did you, how were those beginning days, the early days? How did you market yourself? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, it's, when you said early days, the first thing I could think of was what it looked like. So we have what would be considered a, a, an industrial multi-use space on Market Street. And so when you would walk in, it was just a, a, a gray garage. That's what it looks like, a big, long garage. And I remember, um, you know, painting with my husband and my mother-in-law and, and cleaning the blinds that covered the front window, you know, really bootstrapped. So when you think about this starting, everything, I mean, we painted and tiled the bathroom in the shop and um, it was, everything was just from, you know, bootstrapped. We, uh, we, we set things up on credit cards, on the business credit cards. It was all, um, you know, however we could make it happen. We had a saying, it was like, we own it. So if we own something and we could make it work for the business, we certainly did. And as goofy as it sounds, just a few weeks ago, we had this, uh, we moved a bookshelf that was in the shop for the last 10 years back to our house. It was, you know, it was a piece of furniture that we were like, well, we need it. So let's put it in the shop. So early days were just, uh, you know, a lot of what it is today still, you know, we do everything that we can um, to be uh, smart, frugal, thrifty, uh, sensible. Uh, as far as marketing, you know, marketing, wow. Um, we were always word of mouth when we were in the Bay Area. Um, everybody knew us in the early days as Phil and Rachel, Rachel and Phil, go see Phil, go see Rachel, you know, go talk to Phil and Rachel. And then uh, eventually we, as we built our brand, it was the, go to Hypercat. And then it was Hypercat Racing because by the way, Hypercat Racing was the name of the whole, of, of, of both the shop and the coaching company right up to a few years ago. And I'll circle back to that because of the marketing. Um, so we, we were doing a lot of word of mouth and it really stayed that way for a long time. And, you know, we have websites and so you start to get into social media and we certainly use social media um, and that's only expanded, but it was ancillary to really just having what we tried to have with which, which was raving fans. We had raving fans. They were going to go out and tell their riding partners, their training partners, uh, their buddies, their girlfriends um, about us their neighbors, you know, and now we have kids, you know, <laughs> whatever the kids are in their, their, their kids, parents, you know, the scouts, you know, um, it's, it's been word of mouth, but we've had to, we were getting to a point pre COVID where we were, I was starting to look at, okay, we need to be a little bit more uh, strategic about this. And one of the things we did, I want to say it was um, 2017, 2018 was we decided to change or uh, adjust the name of the shop to Hypercat Cycle Works because Hypercat Racing, people didn't know what that was. And, you know, so they didn't recognize that as a bike shop. It doesn't sound like a bike shop. And if we had many people ask us, do you race cats? <laughs> no. Um, but that was something that we had to, we, I remember there was a, uh, there's always a moment where you in business, I think where you have a trigger and you're like, okay, that's it. We need to do this now. Uh, somebody came into the shop and and they had come in because they'd used Google and um, they said, Google kept trying to send them to Hypercat Racing and they kept getting mad at Google. because they're like, no, I want to go to a bike shop. And Google kept saying, that's the nearest bike shop. That's the nearest bike shop. And finally they came, by the way, they became a customer. But the fact that they said they were getting upset at Google because it was telling them to go somewhere that they thought was wrong. So, you know, after some research, we surveyed customers. We did all kinds of things. We came up, we went with the Hypercat Cycle Works and we the, the logos are the same, the fonts the same, but we kind of split the brand. So that's how we ended up with Hypercat Cycle Works and Hypercat Racing. So in terms of marketing, um, 
I'm still, the jury's still out for me whether this was easier or more difficult, but one of the challenges that I had was while there's definitely overlap, it's the same population of customers or potential customers or, or athletes, you know, there were certain types of people that we would target maybe for coaching, and that might be different than the shop. And the real easy way to divide it out is, is location. I can coach somebody anywhere in the world or anyone in the U.S., whereas our bike shop, while we do have people that fly in from other states, we're generally going to be a regional shop. You know, we're going to have our local and then people are going to come from further south and they're going to come as far north as San Francisco or further. But that's that's still relatively limited compared to the coaching. So in terms of marketing, it became a challenge. How do I, how do I, you know, if we really want to target who we really want specifically, there were different groups. And so that split of names helped, you know, direct the marketing a bit. Um, so where are we at now with the marketing? Um, well, you had COVID and COVID changed everything for a lot of business and certainly changed for us. And what COVID did for us was, indirectly we end up became uh we became known to many more people because everybody wanted a bike or everybody needed bikes because uh, service because their bikes had been sitting you know in their garages for a long time and now they need to get out on them so we went through a period of time where our clientele changed and expanded and it was really outside of our core but our core kind of our normal clientele and, and that was okay. That was fine. But that, that had its own challenges. And now we're starting to see things kind of get a little bit back to normal. But what we have is the benefits of that expanded base, if you will, and, and some challenges with that. And, and then trying to settle in into, as to how, how do we want to market? Because you, know, you ask about marketing, what did we do during COVID? We just stayed alive. And I, and I mean that in a positive way. There were businesses that weren't staying alive because they couldn't be open or because they couldn't do business, we were staying alive, meaning we were just doing everything we could to take care of everyone because it was so busy. Um, and there's only two of us. And technically, there's only one at the shop, my husband, who works on the bike. So there was one man trying to take care of what probably 10 people needed to do. Uh, for almost a year, he didn't take a single day off. So, uh, so marketing, what did we do? We didn't on purpose. Other than normal maintenance stuff, you know, things that we need to do, like, you know, keep, there's certain things you have to do to keep your business going and relevant. But we we didn't actively try to get more people during COVID because we were we were already uh, struggling. So that's not exactly what you would think, perhaps. But uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, so back to the early days, too, when you started, what did you know the most about? And then on the flip side, what did you know the least about and how has that changed? Wow, that's a terrific question. Um, I would say communications was the thing I knew the most about. So, you know, it, I went, yeah, I mentioned I was in broadcasting. I went to Syracuse University, you know, it's a community known for the Newhouse School of Public Communications. I felt very confident in my ability to orate, to write, to create, uh, you know, communication messages, or, you know, whatever, whatever was needed, I felt very confident about doing at the time. And I was like very strong with that. And, and just, I think for me, I think my husband and I were both confident in ourselves and very confident in what we, what we were offering. So, so that, that was it. It was like, okay, I have, you know, my husband has a whole other set of skills, of course, but, you know, I believed in what we had to offer. We had great product, great service. And I believed I could communicate that to folks. 
what we didn't have, <laughs> I never ran a business. And um, to give an example, I remember very early on applying for a micro loan, which by the way, I did not get. And I look back and I laugh, I'm not surprised why. All of the, the information they asked for, things like P&Ls and balance sheets and uh, you know, various financial reports, I had no clue, absolutely no clue. I, I just, <laughs> and, and no wonder why we didn't get that loan because who knows what I gave them um, back then. So I didn't understand particularly the counting, the books, um, the guts of the business, if you will, the things that you know that are happening behind the scenes. And uh, thankfully that's come a long way over the last, it's getting to be uh, a while now. Um, wow, 2001 is when we, we started. So. Um, but I would say the biggest growth in that area is in the, in the, since 2010, since the shop opened uh, in Ventura. So, so the running of the business, I knew nothing about, just common sense. And uh, there's a, there were a lot of mistakes made along the way. Uh, but uh, now we're, we're in a, a pretty good space and I'm always looking for, you know, to learn more. <laughs> so actually, we, we do like to touch on like the financial piece of owning a business. Do you have any advice now that you know you've been, you know, 10 years plus? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I wish I knew when I started, even when we were making the decision to move, is that I think I was, I don't know if I was taught or I learned, you know, growing up that debt was bad, okay? My folks were very, um, you know, very careful with money. They didn't, you know, ring up credit cards and, you know, have a bunch of debt. They always paid, you know, paid things off. And I kind of grew up around that kind of money management, which is smart for personal finances, but in a business, you do often need to have, you know, business debt's normal. You know, you, you need, you know, obviously it'd be nice not to have any, I'd love to be not ever have any, but you, you know, you, it's okay to borrow money. And had I known that, you know, and I try not to go this place in my brain, but I'm like, wow, we could have had an amazing business in San Francisco. We were founded there. We were already there for a number of years. We had a huge base. We had a great following and I was like, how are we ever going to get a piece of real estate uh, to rent? You know, thinking how expensive that, how are we going to do that? I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't do projections. I didn't even know how to, I didn't know what we, I, I just, it was so overwhelming. But when we looked at Ventura and we, it was much more manageable as far as at least even renting a space. So just knowing that, you know, acquiring capital is, 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 is a good thing. It's, you need money to make money. And, and that was probably, you know, that. And then the sooner that you can grasp uh, learning about your accounting and your bookkeeping doesn't mean you have to do it. And I don't do our books. I have a bookkeeper, but I know how to read a PL and my balance sheet. And if I get confused, I can, you know, I can certainly know where to get the help for that. Um, but you really want to understand what's going into those, uh, into those financials because they work as a management tool you know, and that helps you direct your business. And, you know, they may be more of a tool for certain types of businesses than others, but you need to know what, you know, what are you spending? What are you taking in? What do you need to break even? What do you need to, you know, beyond that? So I would say, you know, really the, 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 the money part of it is super important, no matter how small or how big you are. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. So I wish someone would have, I wish I would have sought out the help right at the beginning for that. Or someone would have, you know, smacked me in the head and said, "Hey, you need to do this now." Um, it would have, it would have been a, you know, a helpful thing to know, and it would have changed the trajectory of some of the, the business development over years, over the years. 
So we have a question from Viana, and she says, has there been any overlap between you being an athlete and you being a business owner? And how has one affected the other? Absolutely. In fact, they were very synergistic in the early years. So I retired in 2012 and the business was founded in 2001 and I turned pro in 2002. So between 2002 and 2012, I raced professionally. So what that did, so, you know, you know, if we want to talk marketing again for a second, really, I was, I was the marketing for the coaching company just by being out racing. Um, I wore it for some of my career. I wore hypercat gear once I figured out that I should be doing that. Um, and I made, you know, people knew, and I was, you know, whether I was at a, a local run race or I was racing a triathlon or a bike race or whatever, and that, whatever I did, uh, fortunately, or, you know, performance was, was, a, was a big marketing tool. So I, I definitely um, drew clients to me because of that. They would meet me at a race. I talked to them, or we also would be set up in the expos at races at times. My husband would have the big tent and I would, when I wasn't racing, I'd go to the tent and ask, answer questions. So very synergistic. Um, I will be candid and tell you, it's funny. You, you don't know what you don't know. And when I was a 20 something coach and a 30 something coach, it, I coached way different. And I'm meaning now pre-kids. I coached way different than I do now as a, as a, as a parent. And I thought I knew what I was doing with those athletes that had kids. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> now, I'm sure I did all right, but you have a much better understanding for what uh, what being a parent and what those demands are. So, so racing was a great thing for me to uh, to promote uh, the coaching company, and really, it, it barely overlapped with the bike shop time. You know, it was just in the first couple of years. So, um, it was a, a wonderful. It's a missing piece right now for me to not be out. I don't have to be racing professionally, but to to be able to get back out some more and be in the, be in with our people, as I like to say, that's uh, something I look forward to getting back to. So we have a question from Linda now, and it's what would you tell other women who have kids about owning a small business? It's awesome. It really is. It's, you know, the book stops with you and there, and there definitely are those stresses and perhaps we'll get into some of those, but um, I will say, you know, there are moments and I mentioned earlier that my kids are six and nine. There are moments when I think, wow, I have not missed a thing. I have been with the kids. Boy, COVID. <laughs> We're all with kids. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to do things that I wouldn't have. Like, um, I remember with my son, I went on field trips, you know, to the pumpkin patch and to the zoo. And I volunteered in his classroom for a few hours. And why could I do that during a business day? Because... I can dictate what I do when, and, and that has been incredible. Um, and, you know, again, don't get me wrong. It's not easy, but if you want to make something happen, you make it happen. And to be captain of your own ship, that has been, you know, I think about, it comes into my brain regularly. I think, wow, you know, it's been, you know, whatever, 20 years plus at this point, And I can't imagine not doing my thing you know, and I do make mistakes and you will make mistakes, um, but you would working for someone else too. So. <laughs> and now a word from our sponsor. Bank of America asked Central Coast businesses, what would you like the power to do? Listening to your answer is how we learn about what matters most and help you achieve your goals. That's why we've lent over a half billion dollars to Ventura, Santa Barbara, and San Luis Obispo County's small, mid-sized, and commercial businesses because we don't just work here, we live here. 
So actually, let's talk about that. What's it like owning and running a business with your spouse and being a family-owned business, how that meshes and the stresses like you mentioned earlier too? Before the kids, BK, um, my husband and I were at the shop together all the time. I had a nice big office in the shop and um, I was always, you know, working on whatever it was that needed to be done. And my husband was out on the floor and fixing bikes and whatnot. And so we were always together. It was pretty cool. You know, and we loved to be there. We were there all the time. We weren't in a race. We were at the shop seven days a week and it was awesome. Uh, And then the kids were born and there there was a chunk of time where I wasn't there at all. And then all of a sudden the playpen was in my office and, you know, I had my son and then my son's running around, you know, redecorating. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and that was really cool. Uh, We've got lots of great memories of him. Um, We, we, we included him in some, you know, some shameless plugs here and there because who can beat a baby trying to hawk a saddle or a, you know, I don't know, some bike part. Um, but then when my daughter was born, then I was, it was, I was not no longer at the shop at all. Um, because now I have two. And, um, so what does that mean for the dynamic of having a small business and being husband, wife owned? And it carries to this day. We often are like ships in the night. My husband, like I'm currently in my home office and he's at the shop. Um, and he'll come back, you know, six, seven o'clock tonight. Um, and that's most days, um, you know, but I can also, if I'm out, I can stop by the shop, which I'll do sometimes, you know, um, but that's a, that's a tough part that we're not there, but now that, you know, we're not, we're not done with COVID, but now that the kids are in school and this is, you know, we're only really a few months into this kind of pattern or, or routine again, I'm starting to realize, okay, well, maybe I can, I don't have to be at home. I could go over to the shop for a few hours. You know, so so this will change again. But I think with any small business, um, the dynamic, the husband-wife dynamic is going to depend a lot on your personalities, right? And I think a lot of people end up, whether, you know, coupling, it, you have uh, opposite, the yin-yang kind of hopefully uh, personality type. So that's how it works. If we had two of me <laughs> or two of my husband, the business would have failed a long time ago. You know, and it takes the balance of both. So that's the rub though. It can be, you know, there's definitely challenges. And um, if you, you know, if you ask about that, I'll share some, some major challenges that have happened that could have put, it could have, could have ended hypercat, but failure is not an option. So it, it didn't. Well, actually let's, if you want to touch on a couple of them, I was going to ask you, how do you approach setbacks when they, when they come up? Okay. So, so th- these ones will be familiar and to some folks, and, um, and it's sort of heavy, um, but I'll start with the, the stuff that would not surprise anyone that's in the, in the you know, Southern California or in California. So the first, um, I would say the, you know, the Thomas fires was one of the, you know, the first big things that, that hit us. Um, about six months before the Thomas fires, we were burglarized, and that was a shock. Uh, that was really, really hard. Um, and the good I should share, I'm going to try to focus on the good because that's important, but what, what it did is it taught us some things, taught us a lot of things um, that we needed to, we could up the ante on our security. And that's a whole other, I mean, we could spend an hour talking about that stuff. So I won't, I won't go there, but we learned a lot of things and we made a lot of changes. And so six months later, then the Thomas fire hit and we were fortunate enough not to be in flames way, if you will, but like a lot of businesses we lost, I think it was 22 days because of smoke. And at the time that was devastating uh, for us, that's our our entire income. And not only could the shop not be open, but people couldn't ride their bicycles outdoors 
Now you can train indoors, but they couldn't train outdoors. So that changes things. And then we had the Montecito mudslides, which cut off our clientele from Santa Barbara. And so that had, you know, had an impact. So that, you know, at that time was major, major big deal. And we were, you know, uh, you know, you never know from week to week at the time we were struggling, um, but we got through that. Then um, I would say the next big one was, would be COVID. And it, while I talked about us having business, the rub of having business and the, the negative part of having a new name that people can find and identify you as a bike shop is it makes you or potentially can make you a target. We were burglarized four times, right at the beginning of COVID, April, it was like April 13, 2020. And the last time was April 20th of this year, four times. We lost our insurance twice. We now have pretty poor uh, insurance because we can't get it. Um, and I should mention to you, each one of those burglaries, we upped the ante even more in terms of what we have. I mean, we have, you know, the good news, because I don't want this to be a downer, but there's, there's a lot of really good that came out of this. Um, we had, you know, security cameras and cameras don't stop necessarily burglaries or whatever, but we ended up, uh, police, uh, Ventura PD caught the last burglary. They caught the two guys and they're in jail. Um, they were part of a bigger ring. So that's cool. But we have cameras, we've got alarm systems, we've got redundant gates and securities and locks. I mean, it's, it's, it's like Fort Knox. Um, and so that's good. But that was incredibly tough. And I'll give you a little, a little foreshadowing here. I, I remember being so incredibly stressed. And I've always been good at managing stress. I, you know, I run, I ride, I, you know, you know I did Ironman, you know, I, I could wear off, you know, the stress by just training. But I was so incredibly stressed um, because when the phone rings at 2 a.m., you know it's not good. And for us, every time it rang, it was a burglary. Somebody smashed the glass, somebody smashed something, you know, and, and stole stuff. And I said to myself one day, you're going to give yourself cancer. <laughs> and uh, not, not that you give yourself cancer, but in January I was of this year, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's the heavier one. So, so here we had the Thomas fires. We had the four burglaries. And then I was diagnosed in January with breast cancer. And the good news is I found it. I found it early. And for anyone that knows breast cancer, I was uh, stage 1A, which is almost as early as you can catch it. But now we're talking, how do you run a small business while you're, <laughs> while you're going through treatments? And, um, you know, I did, I had surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and now I'm on uh, hormone treatments. And I'm actually going back through a cycle again where I just had ultrasounds. I'm going in for another mammogram and possibly an MRI just to make sure some things I'm feeling aren't anything. And they're probably not just, you know, but either you have to balance this between be, being a hypochondriac and being diligent. And I'm, and, you know, I saw a surgeon yesterday and they don't think anything's wrong, but anyway, these are immense stresses to have to deal with, you know, um, and I know this is an audio uh, interview, but, um, my hair that I have now, I, it looked like a poodle and I had long, thick, brown, blonde hair down to the middle of my back. And I lost all that hair, of course. And I've grown back silvery poodle hair. And, and that's fun. Um, <laughs> you just have to laugh. It's just different. Um, so this has been an incredibly tough time to, to be a business owner, but, you know, I will say what I've learned is I've, I've, I've done what absolutely needed to be done. My husband obviously is, is his, has bared a lot of the weight because he's the mechanic. He's the bike fitter. He's the purchaser orderer of all the things in the shop. On my end, I basically had to do whatever I could to make sure the bills were paid, that my clients that I coached were being taken care of and being coached, 
that I was being, I thought it was really important to be transparent with, uh, with my coached athletes. And so they got a video the morning I went in for a lumpectomy and said, this is what's going on guys. This is what, if you want to jump ship now, cause you're not comfortable, it's okay. I don't mind. Or I understand. Um, and nobody did, by the way, nobody left. Um, and, uh, so that's, uh, you know, those, I don't know how, I, I don't even want to tempt fate. I don't know how many more challenges we could have, you know, in the last few years than that. But, uh, but as I said a little earlier, you know, failure is not an option. And we've, we've put so much into this that, um, I mean, everything, everything that we have, everything that we do, I mean, it's, it's always, it's about the, the business, which is about now our kids being able to spend time with them, being able to be here, being able to make the decisions we want to make. So. I appreciate you sharing those personal stories with us. Sure. It's part of the, it's part of the journey, really. So let's do a little pivot. What inspires you? You know, when you face now that you know what I've shared, um, you, you do a lot of uh, even more introspection, even if you are introspective already. And I, not to sound morbid, but I often think, okay, when I leave this earth, what, what is the, what, you know, what's, what's left behind? And, and really what I've come down to is you, all you have is how you've treated others and the good you've done for your community. That's what you leave. Those are the memories that you leave. There's not really, you know, you know, any, you know, we've won some great accolades this year, which I can brag about later, but it's not those things. It's how you've, how you've, um, how you've helped other people. So what inspires me is just people who, who really try to do something with the gifts that they have, you know, um, and I'm going to mention one name and I know some folks won't know this woman and many will have loved her, but Suze Montgomery was a friend of mine and she was a, a big a civic leader in Ventura and she passed in October from breast cancer, but she was an amazing woman and she was always working hard to do for others. She was a big advocate for seniors. And so Suze was a big inspiration for me. And it is, it's just, she was always, she wasn't afraid to speak her mind and say, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. We need to do this. We need to do this now. We need, you know, and so those are the type of people that inspire me, people that take action, the people that are trying to improve uh, their space, whatever that is, you know, and it doesn't have to be something glamorous, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's, you know, going to be impressive to others. It can be, you know, I visited uh, Cassie's Cats the other day, the uh, Cat Lounge in Ventura, because I wanted to support uh, Jennifer, the owner's efforts there. And, you know, someone like she inspires me because she does what she loves and she's doing good in her world, which is rescuing, saving cats and finding world, you know, finding homes for them. So it really is about what inspires me. It's, it's what, what is coming from the heart of the person that I'm coming across, if you will. Okay. So before I ask you my last question, I just want to ask you, is there anything you want to add in that we haven't touched on yet? I think, um, you know, it, it just, just a comment about, you know, if you're, if you're starting a business, you know, you know, surround yourself by people that are smarter than you. And that's not new advice. You'll hear that other places, but, but really find people that are going to support you. And if they don't know the answer to something, they'll be able to point you out or point you to uh, someone who can mentor you in, uh, you know, let, let's say financials or accounting. And along that lines, I should, I should give a really uh, a big shout out to women's economic ventures. Um, I have, um, I started, um, 
working with Weave um, as a client of theirs uh, a few years ago. I went through their, I think it, it, they've changed the names of their programs, but it was the Reset program, which was a program for businesses already in business. And that was outstanding. That actually was a catalyst for me to decide to change the name of the bike shop to Hypercat Cycle Works. Um, it was also the beginning of me starting to understand financials. Subsequent to that, I went on to, to do their Thrive program, and I was in some other pilot programs, including a QuickBooks pilot, which helped me learn the financials. So um, Weave is a, a phenomenal organization, and I highly uh, recommend that uh, folks check that out. Although it's Women's Economic Ventures, men are also welcome. So I think if I, that probably be the most important thing I could share is, you know, look into Weave or look into SCORE or any of the other business organizations so you can really, um, you know, uh, set yourself up for success. We love Weave. I think when I think about this podcast, I'm, I swear it's like 95% of the people on here have been through Weave. So they're very important. Not surprised. A wonderful organization. And uh, I'm hoping someday that I'll be able to give back to them by sharing, you know, lessons learned. Okay, so my last question, I like to call it giving credit. What do you give yourself credit for, for achieving or overcoming or learning so far? You know, I've shared to you what we've gone through to, to still be in business and to still be, you know, enjoying what we do and, and, and not lose the faith and lose the hope. I mean, uh, I mentioned those burglaries, those were the worst. And, and I still have a little, you know, residual, you know, uh, challenges with that psychologically. Um, but, but I tell, you know, I, I remind myself, you know, almost every day I'm like, Hey, and, and it's not, it's not me. It's my husband and myself, you know, the two of us, you know, wow, we've made it through a lot and, and we're still, you know, and there, and there's been, there's a million micro stories, as you know, that things that happen in business that, that, that have happened along the way as well. But um, I try to just give myself grace that, you know, you know, on any day, you know, I, I'm always saying, you know, I've got my, you know, to-do list that's, you know, never done, but that's, that's the way that's life. That means you're alive. <laughs> you know, everything else left to do, you might not be here. Um, so it's just giving myself grace and, and saying, you know, you're doing the best you can every day, but on the other hand, you're, you are here and you are getting it done and you do have customers and you do have people that come into your shop. And, and that's, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. So how can people find out more about Hypercat CycleWorks? Well, you certainly can find us on the web. It's really easy. It's hypercat.com. That's the bike shop. And it's a full e-commerce shop. So one of, that's something we also changed during COVID. You can shop online um, and pick up in store. Um, and hypercatracing.com is the coaching company. And both Hypercat CycleWorks and Hypercat Racing are on Facebook and Instagram. Um, as well. So we are available there. And uh, all of our contact information, of course, is on those all of those uh, uh, outlets, including the website. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rachel. That was amazing. I love that so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having the opportunity. This was Charting Her Course, a Pacific Coast Business Times podcast. The Pacific Coast Business Times is the weekly business journal for the Central Coast with digital and print editions, as well as can't miss events. For more on the Business Times and to subscribe, please visit our website at packbiztimes.com. A huge thank you again to our sponsor, Bank of America. We're so appreciative of their support.
Bank of America is committed to responsible growth for the clients and communities it serves by listening as they answer the question, what would you like the power to do? If you enjoyed this podcast, and I sure hope you did, please share with your colleagues, family, friends, and anyone else who might listen. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you stream podcasts. Please also subscribe, rate, and review. For more info on this podcast, please visit packbiztimes.com under Charting Her Course. We are also on Instagram at Charting Her Course. Give us a follow. We'd love to hear suggestions on future guests as well. This podcast is developed and produced by Linda LeBrock and me, Veronica Kuzmuck. Associate producer, editor, and provider of emotional support, all done by Viana Mabonic. Our gorgeous artwork was done by Corey Iniguez of Dandelion Designs. Check out her website at dandeliondesigns.com. Our very cool theme music was created by Nicholas LeBrock. Thank you, Nicholas. Lastly, we're all out charting our own courses in business and in life. So while we're out there, let's wave and say hi to each other. We're in this together.